Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. Write a review, share with a friend, subscribe, help us grow. Today in the booth is just us, but we do a pop culture episode. We get into Quentin Tarantino and his obsession with the N-word. We also finally get to my big problems with Tyler Perry. And then lastly, we talk about how these images create perceptions that affect everybody, even African immigrants who come to America, who people like to throw into the same bucket as black Americans. So kick your feet up and enjoy. Gee, so you're watching Kill Bill, and why is Tarantino controversial? Oh, I mean, I don't know personally. I I really like Tarantino. I I love Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction. Um, I didn't care for Django that much, honestly. But I didn't yeah, care I for think, Django either. Right? Maybe was the hate on Django because it was just so loose with the end end bombs? I feel like he's usually used loose with the end bombs. I mean, Kill Bill, there's no end bombs because there's not really many black people in general. Um, but... He wishes that there was more M-bombs, though. <laughs> right, that, like, that, that's like the, the, Is that the, the hate, right? That's one of them, I think. And just with, because he, he has a long-standing beef with Spike. Mm. Oh. Right, they, so they've too. had like a public feud for years ago. Okay. Um, and I think that was one of... Spike's critiques, like Got you know, it. you just your your movies are just filled with the N word. You're saying mm-hmm. it, Tarantino. You're having mad. You're having black people say it more than they actually would. It's it's mm. it's you know it's ridiculous. That's one. So that's one critique of Tarantino's that he just there. I I read it was like maybe it was like Jelani Cobb, who's a writer for the New Yorker. Um, and also a history professor, he he put it in an interesting way. He was like, I think he was talking about Django or maybe another movie, but that Tarantino like ventriloquizes. Is that is that the right word? He basically turns he he's a ventriloquist and makes black people say the N word in the crazy rate in his mm-hmm. movies, and he just sort of wants to have it all over his movies. Like so, that's one that was one critique. I was like, oh yeah, that that sounds kind of true. Well, he loves, obviously his stuff always has heavy, heavy dialogue. And within the dialogue, it's always pushing the envelope of how you're going to feel, right? So certainly that is a technique within it that is going to cause like attention. So I have to say, I do love Pulp Fiction. Ed, where are you in the Pulp Fiction? Oh, yeah. I like Pulp Fiction. I mean, Pulp Fiction, how can you not love Samuel L? How many memes came out of that? Samuel L. was a meme before memes were invented in that movie, right? And then, you know, Travolta and Uma is a crazy cast. It's definitely classic. Everyone was great in that. Bruce Willis was incredible in that, too. Bruce Willis. Yeah. You know, I'm like... Did did Ving Rhames love that role? I mean, that's a haunting scene. (laughs) It's haunting. Fucking I hot. literally like I fast forward because I've watched pop I watch Pulp Fiction all the time on repeat too. I always have to fast forward through that scene. <laughs> it's like it's a little much. <laughs> it's so haunting. 
Um, but you know, I love cartoons and I like anime. And so it's like, I love the comic book vibe, like of the, you know, it's like real world shots and, you know, but the way that it's uh, written and shot and certain parts are exaggerated in his movies is something that I'm like, ah, I love it so much. So are you, uh, do you mess with like the Marvel stuff? Um, I'm not super into it, honestly. I'll watch it, but if you like, Is you it know, too ask me about it. Mm, I think some of it's really good, really smart, great dialogue, um, entertaining. Um, I don't know what it is about it. I just really, just not into them. I did see the Avengers though. The Avengers. To me, it's why I don't like Thanos. it, but I think why other people do love it is it's a theme park ride, right? Oh. Okay. And like to me, that's not exactly what I want out of a movie. But for other people, it is just pure escape and fun and exciting. And that's exactly what they want to see in a movie, which is, gotcha. I guess, most people because they're hella successful. But um, right. I've actually right. been watching some of the shows on Disney. They have like a Loki one and then they have like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And like <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier is kind of woke. It was, it was kind of wild to me. I was like, this is actually somewhat of a serious show. I was not expecting this from, from Marvel, but uh, it, it definitely, Ed, did you see that one at all? I did. I saw the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? The sort of, so those, that one, the Loki and, um, oh, why am I blanking on this? Like WandaVision one? or something? WandaVision, Jesus. I like that one too. These are all like mm. in uh, coming after Avengers Endgame. Right. Okay. So this is like it carries those on those out. stories and it just sort of branches them off into three different stories. But the Falcon and Winter Soldier, yeah, it was super political, super like, you know, virtue signally. But then I, I thought so. And I was like, what is this? You know, Tuskegee, you know, experiment, you know, that kind of thing. But somebody reminded me that that's all true to the comic book. Mm. So it was already in the comic book before all of this. Shit. Uh, interesting. Uh-huh. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize yeah. that either. It's true to the source material. So I was like, damn, wow, okay. That's interesting. And I, and I cool. like, it is, right? And it's nice when you can just sort of stick to your um, gun, stick to the source material, and it just resonates with current moments. That's pretty good. It sounds um, like something I, I'd like. I'm going to check that out. And the name is tough. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, that sounds like something I, I'd yeah. like. Yeah, but, um, it, it, it was surprising. It was, I was like, I was watching it. I'm like, am I liking this? What's going on here? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely like a Marvel kind of hater a little bit. And <laughs> and then I found myself t- like totally liking it. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to. <laughs> I, I, I had this like funny back and forth with this woman who is on our, our Tulsa team, who's the best. But she, I didn't realize she had like a Marvel podcast. And she wanted to fight me at dinner when I was like, I said like Marvel's yeah, trash and you, literally yeah, you like, watch what you say, bro. Oh my gosh. It was almost a wrap for me. Yeah. They got a big army. What what are the, what are the Marvel barbs or like, what are the, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? What are the barbs mm-hmm. for Marvel? I don't know. There's a big army out here though. Oh my You're God. surrounded far. You're surrounded. Well, Ed, I think you were talking about at one point or someone was saying this, but um, I guess it was Stan Lee with X-Men. That was like a whole comic adoption around civil rights is that right right yeah i read that i don't know if it's if it's um i don't think it's like probably not uh, that literal but no no it, it i think that i think stan lee 
did it, or at least I think I read an article on the history.com, which just seems like a legitimate source, but I don't know if it's like controversial because it's like people don't want it to be true, but, or at least, at least, uh, what I read is, uh, Professor X and Magneto, we were uh, sort of allegorical character characters for Martin and Malcolm. Professor mm-hmm. X, obviously Martin. Magneto, uh-huh. obviously Malcolm. Uh-huh. And um, they were kind of uh, uh, designed after those two kind of opposing figures um, during the civil rights program to show, show kind of the factionalism, um, which I think probably says larger that X-Men being kind of the others or the outcasts or the kind of the uh, aliens in society, maybe the, the X-Men are black people or non-white people, perhaps. But mm. uh, I, it, it was an interesting, I didn't, I didn't know that. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's it. And it makes a lot of sense because Magneto's very, you know, by any means necessary. That's Magneto pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Versus Professor X is more like, education and, and let's find dialogue and middle ground and nonviolence. And so I was interested. I was, in, uh, it was interesting to read that. Yeah. It is. I and that as well. Magneto always too, was that person where you're like, I don't like, you would find yourself being like, I don't think he's fully wrong here. <laughs> like just when watching like the comic. <laughs> and so it's really interesting that that's somewhat of the source material from where he was yeah. coming from. I love he's literally com- a complex. Right antagonists i love a complex right. antagonist well even you know i guess we're going kind of going in all directions magneto survivor of the holocaust they said that uh michael b jordan's character in black panther was very magneto-ish you know what i mean mm-hmm. like survive tragedy and um a little bit more sour and you know very complex kind of like well he's not really wrong in this way but maybe his methods are not that great or like, you know, very, very akin to that kind of character, the way that, that that's drawn up. Super akin. Yeah. But. Yeah, I don't know how. With with Black Panther, I felt like, um, you know, I get it with Michael B. Jordan's character, him being, you know, raised in America. So he was like this super disrespectful. He disrespected <laughs> elders. He disrespected Black women. He's so removed Yo. from his roots. He's out here wilding. Like I understand the commentary, and then of of course the the lead character is like you know, um, humble, righteous, respects elders. You know, he's closer to to Africa, so he's you know, right. He's more <laughs> righteous than the than the black African American man. Um, Gee, you're laying it all out. That's exactly my take. And when yeah, I was like arguing with people with Black Panther, which is kind of fucked in a little, way. Uh, I was a little offended. Yo, like, I was I under- so offended out of the side of that movie. I got I drunk and like, like ranted with people right after seeing that movie about how the movie pissed me off. Right. I'm like, not all black men or American black men are like this. And it seems like that they're, I feel like they, they drove that a little too hard. And you know, the differences between the two and why oh he was the God. villain and why he was the good guy. Um, um, yeah. Yo, uh, that, exactly. That me the wrong way. It run me the crazy wrong way. I was so, and even what was the part? Um, I was kind of uh, for Michael B. Jordan the whole movie. By the way, T'Challa, I was kind of like, "Fuck this dude." <laughs> You're a contrarian, Michael. <laughs> no, I didn't like Michael B. Jordan's character because he was so disrespectful to to elders and black women, yeah. as if like that's how we're raised. Like you know, like black Americans right. aren't raised to just like shit on our elders and like right. you know. 
put black women all the way. I mean, I know that that happens as well. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that too. But I was like, damn, this is their take on on black America. Yeah, he was kind of he was kind of one dimensional in that way. He was pretty much there to, you know, take down the government, infiltrate, you know, and and, and, and build a, a more of an expansionist monarchical kingdom. You know, the, 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 the sun will never set on the Wakanda empire. That's a quote from the, Wrong. you know, the sun will never set on the British empire. Like oh, this is, okay. he's, he's colonial, right? Yeah. But he's also like the lost African cousin who grew up in the ghetto, who don't know how to act right. Just like G said. <laughs> and, and like, and then the last part we has like the, the, when he goes into the, to get the powers or whatever. And then he um, uh, dreams back to the state of being in the hood when he was young and his father sees him. And his father's like, oh, you know, you know, no tears for me, no tears for me. And he's a boy. He won't even cry for his father. He's so devoid of emotion. He's literally a super predator. He's like, nah, you know, you don't, I don't cry for my father. You know, this is it's just that's just what happens in this place. And he's a super like, yeah. uh, you know, jaded young thug that right. grew up to be this like, you know, colonial monster that America created. Um crazy and then he lost his ways of like the cousins in africa the right ways of of t'challa and the elders and you know he's a lost cause kind of thing yeah it's kind of placating and it's like at the end they set up like that center in his old hood remember they set up like a center that's what pissed me off the most g yeah and they're like these people need help like let's help these people like it's super savior complex which is actually a lot of like like heroes here's the stem building here's we're gonna educate them and here's the uh, you know the medical center and they only showed american kids outside of killmonger michael b jordan's character there were only kids that represented american black people there were no adults in the movie literally only kids so these children that need you know charitable aid from Mm -hmm. from for a stem center you know, for for uh, to to be taught how to code or something, so they can get out of the ghetto. What the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's oh, kind of why I liked Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then there's another show, The Boys. But they start kind of flipping the script a little bit on do we even need these superheroes and just the savior complex that like the superhero is being put on. And to me, whether it's T'Challa or whether it's any of the superheroes in any of the movies. You're, it, it's a bit of that and and I thought that like Falcon was the first time where like the dude is like should I even be doing this or should I actually be like back like working with my family and in the boys they go like a whole step further I don't know if you've seen that show but like the superheroes are totally the villains in it. right? Yeah, and yeah. they and they actually compare the superheroes pretty much to like conservative America uh, <laughs> which was pretty awesome and basically make the superheroes like white supremacists like pushing like an American agenda which was actually amazing um, I want to come back to this one point about how other black folks around the world view black Americans because I was on a tour yo. stop. I was on a tour stop and um I met this woman from she was from Jamaica, older woman, and I didn't provoke this conversation at all. You know, I'm friendly to all the people in the in the group, but she started talking about how you know, where she's from, the way that they look at Black Americans is like, we're trash. Like, we're ghetto, we're trash. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is the imaging that they see of us. Yep. Not really, like, the innovative, creative, um, brilliant, 
educated stuff that I see from our culture. You know, I know that there's mm-hmm. both, but what gets pumped out to them is that trash. And so she said when she came to America, she was surprised <laughs> when she started meeting Black people and that they're not all trash. And she said this to me. And I was like, whoa. And so when I, we think about Black Panther, I'm like, wow, like this is their take on us. Mm. And like, what what has, you know, when we think about like our industries and our media, whether it's film or rap music or all any type of music and like what the image that they put out of Black women and Black men to the world and how that in effect makes them view us. But when I saw Black Panther and heard this woman, it was like around the same time. I was, <laughs> it, yeah, I was like, wow, like there's something here that I, I'm, I'm not aware of because I live in America, you know? Right. I got two stories on that real quick for on how Africans perceive African Americans. Mm. One of them is my own and one of is is um an author who spoke about it. I'll start with the author, Chimamanda Ngozie Adichie, who's a, you know, a, a really popular African feminist author, writer, um I think maybe even poet, definitely speaker. She she talked about I watched some interview of her like some years ago and she talked about how uh I think her most famous book is Americana. I, I have and I haven't read it yet, um, but she writes kind of, uh, she's a novelist. And when she came, she went to school or like graduate school or something in America. When she, and, and she was talking about how when she first joined, she was in class and then some some black dude was like, what's up, sister? Kind of thing, just trying to embrace her as a new classmate. And she was like, no, 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 I'm not your sister. And she and she she kind of introspectively looked back at this and realized like she was like, Black American blackness is not me. I don't want no parts of that. You know, I, this is not, you know, I, I'm not here for that. I, I'm not associated with that because I understand that blackness in America is, is, is the bottom rank. Right. I don't, I don't want to, I'm, I'm, I'm clear of that. That's not, that's oh. not me. So, you know, but over, she, she talked about how she evolved and kind of saw, like you said, G, like, you know, the beautifulness of, of the culture, the richness of it and how complex it actually is. And by the end, she was like, I wanted to go back to that guy and say, I'm so your sister. And mm-hmm. she, you know, so she kind of ended her story like that. But the, the the disconnect there from just African immigrants coming over and seeing what black Americans are, there is um, a cleavage there in that uh, it exists. And just because they look like us and they're dark skin like us does not mean that they fit into the social hierarchy that America's created. And they know right. better. They know the distinctions and they stay clear mm-hmm. of it. That's one story. The second one is when I was at Hampton University as a sophomore, um, my roommate was a Nigerian uh, student. And uh, <laughs> I could just, we're like, we didn't quite, we were like cool, but we, ne- we, didn't, we never quite vibed. Um, and I was just, I was like, well, I don't understand why, like this guy doesn't really vibe with me. Uh, and I, I think it was like one time, he did this all the time, but the first time he did it, he would break out his laptop and he would like do his work or whatever right next to me. And then when he was done using his laptop, he would put it in his suitcase and then lock it up with a lock and then before going wow. to sleep. And I was like, OK, that's clearly for me. Uh, you know, the American mm. black dude, uh, this guy doesn't trust me. And I could only understand years later, look at back at it now and point to the same divide that right. um, African immigrants, they just they don't have the same regard from us for us as White people would assume that, oh, black Africa, you all fucking know each other and love each other. You're all the same. Right. Like, so, it is yeah. quite different. It's it's and, completely different. And Eddie, vice versa. When I was living in Brownsville, um, one of my favorite neighbors was this man named Muhammad. 
And I don't know what part of Africa he was from, but there was a lot of African immigrants, like the woman who, who braided my hair was from Burkina Faso. I'm not sure where Muhammad was from, but he ran the chicken joint on the corner. And the type of vitriol that I would see from, you know, the, the Black American neighbors, especially young kids, teenagers, towards mm. Muhammad, mm. Muhammad's Black, dark-skinned mm-hmm. man was crazy i had never seen anything like and i was confused it was jarring to me when i first saw it i you know they would like make fun of his accent they would mm. they would shit on muhammad they really would and i'm i'm so i'm saying like that disconnect i feel like kind of goes both ways of like i don't know if those those young black kids thought they were better than him mm. because he was an immigrant or what but um so i've, I've seen that with my own eyes and i don't know how prevalent that is you know mm-hmm. but in that area you it know. was pretty prevalent you know it's so it's just it's it's there's a, a racist racist ideas or racist tradition traditions or however you want to frame them that anybody can subscribe to even literal africans from africa who immigrate over can subscribe to the same racist notions uh, or ideas of american black people that anybody can sure but well, also, I mean, but to G's point on the flip, uh, humans are very good at othering one another, no matter what. That's just like a human condition. I will say what's interesting about hearing some of the examples that you said, I mean, it seems like you can't divorce just the long lineage of minstrelsy that, of course, was pervasive across the world. So that no matter if you're African or Asian or whoever you are, there's hundreds of years of that being you know, the norm of what you get. And then, you know, in in the modern day context, you know, there's still, you know, you know, obviously white media that is still being very opportunistic around what some of these caricatures can look like. But I think this is probably why even people get mad at Tyler Perry, right? Or at least his critics are (laughs) that he's he's basically using the same playbook to make money himself. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, Farm. G, you gonna? I mean, you wanna? Have we touched on Tyler Perry with with you, G? We talked about this, right, in some past episodes. Uh, you guys have never brought up Tyler Perry to me. Uh, <laughs> no, this has not happened. <laughs> G, are you a big Tyler Perry fan? Oh, you know my relationship with the word fan, <laughs> but um, I respect Tyler Perry a whole lot. This man is really broken open some some things in this entertainment business um i don't know at what point in the script how much he has involvement in uh i think some of the earlier things i've seen and then i kind of tapered off and stopped watching after i seen some of the earlier things about like um it was it did seem like the the dark-skinned man was like always like the bad man and the light-skinned pretty man was like the good man um, and I just saw that in a couple of his things. I don't know if that's still like the thing, you know, but I saw it more than once in his pieces. So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, even if it was flipped, even if it was all oh, the light skins, man, bad and the dark skin man's good. And if it's like shown to me a couple of times within like a, a theme within a catalog of work, um, it, it starts to feel like it's intentional or there might be. They're saying something about the the colorism or something, you know. Um, but other mm-hmm. than that, I don't, I can't speak in an educated fashion when it comes to Tyler Perry's catalog and work because I haven't seen enough. 
Mm. And those were just like my earlier takes of like where, where it kind of sits with me right now. Um, but I I have a huge respect for Tyler Perry. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, he's mm. not the man. <laughs> <laughs> he's the, I mean, he's you cannot hate what he, well, okay. I, I do hate on him i'll say in a second but you can't deny i don't hate on what he built with the studios i think what he built with the studios right right unbelievable right right. yeah that's exactly absolutely he's the studio is amazing the the ground he's been able to cover or or his like his individual trajectory has been just you know as an actor artist producer director writer it's been crazy Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's pretty so one of one. so many other people, too. He has uplifted a whole, not just his individual trajectory. Like, yeah, he has yeah. made careers, you know, a lot of careers. He's definitely, outside of just him personally, yeah, he's employed a ton of people, you know, TV shows, movies. I'm sure, yeah, I don't even, I can't even think off the top of my head how many acting careers he's launched. But I'm sure there's, there's definitely um, a gang of folks he's launched. My biggest beef with him is and I also think Spike Lee beef with him about this too not that I'm like I'm like I co-sign co-sign everything Spike Lee does or anything but Medea is just it's just so blatantly a mammy blackface minstrel character like mm-hmm. it is in this like it's so clearly the fat black you know in the kitchen the asexual like mm-hmm. sort of older mother grandmother type who's sassy and, you know, will set you straight and, and is the disciplinarian and um, screaming. Like, it is the same playbook as, like, Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind or that old Beulah show. Um, that mammy, that, you know, uh, character, that performance form, um, which was created in minstrelsy, that's what Medea is. You know, you can mm-hmm. and you can make you could you could say like even like Martin with some of the stuff he did what was it like Norbit? He's done some kind of mammy-ish kinds of characters. I mean, that's a tangent, but Medea is unmistakably unmistakably a menstrual character, and his whole his whole like legacy is built off of a menstrual character, which I don't like. Like I, I it's 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 minstrelsy. It's proven to work in America. And and we talked about this before, Farb, which you bring up a good point. What are the number like what are the viewer numbers? I, I I'm convinced that he can't I don't know if all like you, you wouldn't say that all of the Medea movies have been have been widely released and mainstream, but I don't think that he gets this successful without white people watching his stuff. I don't think that if it was just black people watching, you're right. There are a lot of black people that love those um, plays and those movies. Absolutely. Because there is some familiarity in it. There, there are, right. It does come from somewhat of a true place, even though the character itself is completely fictional. You know, the happy mm-hmm. slave, you know, happy to be doing her job, has no family of her own, you know, works in the white household. So, you know, there are some differences, but it is, it is um, unmistakably, unmistakably a mammy character um, to its core. I mean, that's my biggest gripe with Tyler Perry. Gotcha. But, you know, wow. to, to seek out like the viewership, to see like, was it just black viewers that carried him to this success today? Given that we're just, what, 12% of, of the country, I would be shocked if we were able to just like, you know, buy black that powerfully to launch him into stardom that way. 
without there being some crossover appeal from other groups uh, for his movies. Um, and that appeal is, is, is clearly tied to, to minstrelsy as far as I see it. But, you know, I'm happy to fight about that with anybody. <laughs> That's heavy. Man, you really be analyzing these movies, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't seen I haven't seen all of them, you know, to your point, G. I have seen a couple in the beginning. I was just like, oh, what is this? Black movies. Let me go, you know, let me pull up, let me support. But it is it's not just this this there's this Medea, but also like the early movies are very slapstick. You know, like that slapstick humor is is so yeah. minstrel. And and even like like the Three Stooges, you can trace their art form out of minstrelsy, like right. that just that rough physical slapstick, caricatured people humor, that that is minstrelsy to its core. And then you bring in the whole colorism element as well, which is like clearly there. G, like I see it too. Um, these movies are just not are are very problematic for those reasons for me. Right. And when I think about entertainment and art, you know, art and entertainment, I wonder sometimes at what point do the end justify the means? Right. Mm, right. Not saying that, that this is a case like that, but I, it's something that I think about often of when I am um, more critical of other people's productions or art or entertainment of like, okay, this this is what has been able to be done and this is what has been able uh, what led to it right um right. The degradation of our communities and thing you know I, you know as a hip hop artist is something i think about a lot you know that's all that's all i want to say about that <laughs> no you i mean you bring up a good point i, I mean even with cuz gone with the wind is if you want to talk about talk about more modern esque minstrelsy like minstrelsy comes from the 1830s and 40s. Gone with the Wind is like 19, you know, it's a depressionary movie, 1939, I believe. Um, there were people protesting that day saying, Hattie McDaniel, don't play this Mammy character. Um, and she was like, you know, and she was like, well, listen, you know, we only have so many options. I'd rather get paid whatever thousand dollars to play a maid rather than be a maid for, you know, mm. chump change. I'm butchering her Whoa. quote, but she says something like that. Um, Is that like the help? I never saw that movie, but would that be like a modern the, equivalent? Uh, oh, the help is interesting. Um, I don't, I, I wouldn't say so. I don't, I don't think the help, uh, I don't know, man. I have to, that's a deeper, I haven't watched it recently. I don't think the help had many uh, minstrel dimensions. I think it was more about reconciliation. The help is much more green book. It's yeah. much more like, oh, if we just saw racism on an individual uh, standpoint and you and I talk it out, this is how we saw racism. That's very much what the help is, right? Even though it's, 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 it's set in like the Jim Crow South. But, you know, your point, G, of like opening the doors, the ends justifying the means. When after, after in the beginning with, with minstrelsy, there were white actors. This is where blackface comes from, where I think a lot of people who are mad about it don't even know that blackface comes from minstrelsy. White people blacking, blackening up with um, burnt cork on their face to play, quote unquote, black characters. And then after a while, black people themselves started playing black people, it, either blackening, blackening up more or just 
playing, the, you know, with not even, you know, uh, changing their skin and just playing in minstrel plays. Right. And this is where like vaudeville comes from and, and American stage performance, that kind of stuff, um, you know, derives from this. But they played minstrel characters and, you know, step and fetch it. But what it did do is it did open the doors in Hollywood for black actors. And mm. it did. It did. And, and you know, uh, we don't get Sidney Poitier. We don't get, um, you know, uh, 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 uh uh, Harry Belafonte without those doors first opening from Hattie McDaniel winning the first Oscar uh, in American mm-hmm. history for playing Mammy. So, wow. so it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. It's a, I, yeah, it uh, is. May, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the tragedy maybe. is that, that we, that we even have to do those type of roles in order to open doors, right? That's the tragedy, but that's just right. the, the reality of, the reality. of where we, where we are in America and where we've been. Um, it's a journey. And it was it was crazy. I was watching this because uh, on HBO Max, you can watch Gone with the Wind and they have this little kind of extras. And there was a, um, a panel of like cinephiles or uh, movie critics or whatever talking about Gone with the Wind. And they're acknowledging that, yes, this is racist. But they were like, well, Hattie McDaniel really played a three dimensional mammy. Like she played, she maybe in and of itself is a caricature, but like she played it in a more three dimensional way than other black women have played Mammy in other movies. And I was just like, like my head's about to explode, but they kind of also have a point because she, she did steal some of the scenes with her big Mm. bug eyes and her like, you know, sassiness. Like she did, she did steal a couple of the scenes, but she was Mammy. So like, what are we talking about? But that kind of oh, cognitive goodness. dissonance can exist, right? Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's wild, deep, but it's just yeah. the reality. Yeah. It well, it's more comfortable to explain it that way. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's wild. You know, you, you know, you do want to, and it's like Hattie McDaniel made history, the first African-American to win an Oscar. You do want to give her her flowers, but it's also like, what the fuck, Hattie? Mm. You... <laughs> You're not but, helping this but, movement. But, but like 100 years ago, 90 years ago, it's like, how could you ever ask someone to do otherwise? Exactly. There's zero other options. Zero. Yeah. Like you, right. you, you can't put on like today's like lens and be like, oh, Hattie, you no. should have done better. It's like, fuck that. Right. I no. I, but, I would play Mammy. <laughs> they did. <laughs> sure <will>. There was. <laughs> would have been the best Mammy y'all ever seen. <laughs> A four dimensional Mammy. A four dimensional <laughs> Mammy. Yo, but nah, that's that's the that's the that's the tension, right? There's literally no other options. And you have listen, how many black people were there in 1930? I don't know, 30 million. Today's like 40 million at that point, you know, not too far behind. You're gonna get somebody to do like if you're if you're just starving an entire group of people like somebody's going to be down to do it like it's just it's just like statistically true so you, somebody's always going to be down to 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 do that and and better Absolutely. and create a better situation for themselves cuz they're humans like it's you know this situation is not natural and so people can like move in it and 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 create some more agency for themselves and and end up you know um acting along the dictates of an oppressive system and 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 kind of ally with the with the oppressive uh, oppressors in to yeah, some degree to survive. Yeah. to survive but that's what happens that's what happens in any other society with any other group like it is not specific to Hattie McDaniel or Tyler um, Perry or yeah, Tyler Perry but- 
until you control the structure, until you control the structure. Like, that's what I'm saying about Tyler Perry. Like, he's gotten into a place where he can he can change things a bit, right? So it's like, you know, you look at like, uh, when I think about hip hop, all of those powers that be, those big record labels who are running things, they could put in a menstrual rapper, right? A rapper is like hyper-violent, hyper-sexualized if it's a female rapper. Um and anyone would do it. It's not about like who took the role or who, you know, who can do this. Like you can insert anybody until you start getting into a position where we are controlling the content, controlling the production. Then you start to see not the monolith of the rapper of like this type of rapper. You start to see a complexity of rappers. And we've kind of seen that with the the downward trajectory of the record labels and the upward trajectory of independent having more control and empowerment right. and, and agency as a, in, as independence, right? And like, I think when the structure yeah. changes, that's when you, because the exploitation isn't as intense. That's exactly it. You bring up a good point, G. And um, Michelle, Michelle Alexander brought this point up in her book, The New Jim Crow. She talked about, I don't know if it was like, it been a, it's been some years since I read that book, but she may have went on a, a bit on a tangent, but she talked about the industry of hip hop and those very caricatured rappers could, could, could that be described as modern minstrelsy, you know, playing the more reductive group member with more modern tropes and, and playing it up in like for a hip hop song or album, right? Which, which are, okay. Also never forget that, uh, you know, Tyler took care of that poor homeless couple, um, Megan and Harry, who were thrown out of their home <laughs> from England. So, I mean, now that he's in a powerful position, he's really stepping yeah. in and, you know, oh, helping the less fortunate. You know, he's, he's super plugged. He's such a humanitarian. <laughs> Give that man a, a humanitarian trauma. award. You know. <laughs> That's a good myself. point. He's, he's going to, what did we, did we talk about this? He's going to play himself in the movie. Or maybe, what is it, when this shit comes to the crown, the Netflix show, maybe Tyler, who's going to pay Tyler Perry? Or maybe he'll play himself. <laughs> Uh, too good. Pivotal moment. All right, I think we're a wrap. <laughs> yeah, that's a good place to end it. All right, that's guys. a good place to end it. That was fun. <laughs> that was great. That was great. This is literally what we would be talking about, like at a cookout or some shit. This is yeah. the same. Like this is the same conversation. The same way it would happen.